0: If you want to turn your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, just a couple books before Psalms. I've been preaching through the beginning chapters of of, uh, this book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah comes to us in a time when Israel has returned from exile. They had been two nations, Israel and Judah. They had been taken off into exile. And then now they have returned. Um, A man named Ezra has helped to build the temple But the walls of the city are still in ruins and they are not allowed to rebuild them. So Nehemiah decides and gets a a pull in his heart that God wants him to help raise up the walls in Israel. So, so far we have seen Nehemiah hear this call from God, go before the king. And uh, then in chapter 3 of Nehemiah, they, the people get started on the wall. Now, I'm not preaching chapter 3 because Nehemiah chapter 3 would be one of the most boring texts to read in church that you would, could ever hear. It's just a real listing of different families and different groups of people and what they worked on in the city, on the city walls. So, we're going to kind of skip over it, except I would like to say this. If you do need some sleeping material this week... And you want to read Nehemiah 3, there is something very interesting that you see in that. And what you will see is that not only are there family names, but there are names of men and women, there are names of clergy and lay people, there are names of wealthy royals, and there are names of common people. There are all kinds of people that get involved in building the walls. This is this great picture, actually, of diversity going on as Israel starts to build these walls This here, by the way, is a picture of Israel at about the time of Jesus. I know it's kind of hard to see, but it will give you a little bit of an idea. Uh, Jerusalem is uh, a a hill, and on the top of the hill up here, you can see uh, kind of where the temple would be. They call that the Temple Mount. And you can see kind of this round shape there. That would be the city walls. Now you'll note that uh, there are Uh, buildings and stuff kind of around, but you can see that main area where the city walls are. That's what they're trying to rebuild. Trying to rebuild the walls so that if anyone were to attack them, everybody could flee inside the walls and they could protect themselves. So Nehemiah gets this work started. All kinds of people from all walks of life get excited about it and start to um, get involved in the work. But we've already seen inklings in chapter 2 that some of the nations around Israel are not so keen on Israel finishing these walls. So I'm in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. Now when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria... What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and said, yes, what they are building. If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So, I've given you a kind of a nation, a picture of Israel. Uh, This is a little bit before the exile. Samaritan, Samaria is now sort of in between. But you can see Ammon on the one side, that's the Ammonites. And as we go through, you're going to see the other nations get involved. They're actually the nations that surround Israel. So by the time we get to the end of this chapter, Israel is going to have enemies to the north, to the east, and to the west that are against the work that is going on. Now, there's nobody to to the east, north, and south. There's nobody to the west because there's nothing to the west, right? So they're totally surrounded by enemies that want to resist this work. And so they start attacking the morale of the people. Why are these nations so upset at Israel? Because if Israel's strong, it means they can't push them around. If Israel's strong, it means... Um, they have another force in the area that they have to, uh, to deal with. And if Israel is strong, ultimately Israel, um, if you can strengthen your walls, if you can be a strong people and you can be a strong culture, that has impact on the world around you. This is true in your personal life too. The stronger you are as a person... The stronger you are in your life, the more you can start to have an impact and help other people. But have you ever been in a time in your life when you're not real strong? Where something's happened in your life and you feel real weak? Either because of a health concern or because of some grief that you're going through. And what do you find? you find you can't really help a lot of other people when you're the person in need of help? What these other nations understand is that a strong Israel is going to impact not just Israel, but the whole area. And they don't want the influence to be on them. This is important for churches too. Churches get strengthened for the benefit of the community around them. Just not for their own, uh, their own blessing. This is an important theme, by the way, in the whole Old Testament. When Abraham is called by God to go to this different land, Abraham is called so that he would be a blessing to the nations. The whole call, right from Israel's get-go, is they're not just a blessing for themselves, they're a blessing for the world around them. And Jerusalem is central to this. Listen to Isaiah 26, 1 and 2. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter it. Part of Isaiah's vision, written just a few years before this, just a little bit at the beginning of the exile there, is to say that Jerusalem is going to be a strong city for the world, going to bring faith to the world. So these other nations, they don't want Israel building the walls, and now the people start to hear these complaints. So Nehemiah begins to pray. Verse 4, hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let let not their sin be blotted out of your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together at half its height. For the people had a mind to the work. This is Nehemiah. Nehemiah all the time. He gets into trouble. He has a concern. And what does he first do? Pray. First thing Nehemiah does again and again and again is pray. He goes back to God and asks him to be with him. Asks him to, be, uh, to, to help. Prayer is the fuel of change that's going on in Israel at this time. Prayer is the catalyst of transformation. I know a lot of people that have trouble changing, have trouble not going through life doing the same thing over and over again. They, They just keep repeating the same patterns. And whenever you feel stuck like that, I always want to know about your prayer life. Tell me about your prayer life. Tell me about how you're speaking to God and how often and what those prayers are like. Because prayer is the fuel of the Christian. Prayer is the fuel of the Christian. It's the fuel of change in your life. And if you're not praying, then you're the source of your fuel. And that does not work out real well. So what does he do? He keeps the building going. He wants the people to keep their momentum. And what he tries to do is build the wall at half the height. Just get the wall done at half the height. Now why? Why does he have them start the wall just at half the height? First of all, they make some progress, right? Make a little bit of progress. And sometimes, you ever been in your life where just a little bit of progress would be fantastic? Right? We're just a little bit, I just got to get a little bit of leverage. A little bit of progress. So he, he gets the people, okay, come on, let's get this wall half height all the way around. And then at least we have something we can say, okay, it's at least half built. And we at least have a pretty decent wall we could defend if we were attacked. But get something started. Get something defensible. Get at least a foothold on this problem that the people think is too big a problem. But as they get stronger, the opposition gets bolder. Verse 7. But with Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that they were repairing the walls of Jerusalem, was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to close, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set up guard as protection against them, day and night. So notice every time we now we're back. We got a third nation involved, and Israel is surrounded on every side. The nations are starting to say we're we're going after. We got to go after them. We got to cause confusion. We got to get them so they're not motivated to finish the work that they started. They're plotting to come and fight. What does Nehemiah do? He prays. He prays. But Nehemiah doesn't just pray. He never just prays. He always prays, but he never just prays. He prays and he plots. He prays and he sets up the guards. He prays and gets protection always around the walls and what they're doing. This is a theme in Nehemiah. He prays and he posts a guard. He prays that God will build the walls and then he gets people started. It's very interesting how he works out. Nehemiah would say, hey, God is going to build this wall. Here's your shovel. God is going to protect us. Here's your sword. Sometimes God's answer to our prayers is us. Sometimes instead of God bringing us outside help when we're going through things, what God does is He chooses to strengthen our hands for the work. God's going to protect this, this city. Here's your sword. You step up, do better, do something different. Verse 10 In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There's too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, They will not know or still see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So, in the lower, the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. The people are getting tired, right? They've started this thing. But but starting is one thing. We've all started projects, right? I'm going to clean the basement this weekend. And I clean the first two feet of the basement. And then I'm overwhelmed by the rubble. I'm overwhelmed by the stones and the boxes. You can start a project, but to finish it, you get resistance. And so the people are tired. Morale is crumbling. So Nehemiah does a couple things. First, he gets reinforcements, right? Get all the people in here. Get all the people, all the people that are living in the surrounding towns, all the Jews that we can, we can round up from all the different areas around Jerusalem. Get them all here. We need as many people as we can so we can get this done as fast as we can. He gets reinforcement. He places people in the weak points. He goes around the wall looking for the breaches, looking for the places where we, we've only got a half a wall. So there's a place where they can get in. There's a place where they can get in. And he puts the people in the weak points. And he also reminds them that God is with them and what they are fighting for. God's with us. God's going to deliver. And remember what you're fighting for. For your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your home. This is really important. Nehemiah isn't just building a wall. You understand that? He's building a people. He's building the people up. These people that were scattered in our back. These people that feel weak. These people that feel overwhelmed. He's trying to bring them together as a community. To say we're in this together. We're in this together for, for what God has called. God is with us. We're in this for our children. We're in this for our grandchildren. We're in this for our family. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half my servants worked on construction, half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped to his side when he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. The enemy hears the plan and the people are ready for the attack. The people return to their work. Half of them doing construction, half of them on guard. And even those that are on construction, they got a hammer in one hand, they got a sword in the other. They're carrying something they try to do as much as they can with one hand, always ready for the attack. And the man who sounds the trumpet stays with Nehemiah. So if there's any gap, if anybody attacks any point on the wall, the trumpet sounds and a whole bunch of people are going to rush to that area to defend. See, now we're not just working as individuals. It's one big group and where there's a problem, we're all going to respond at once. He gets organized. Nehemiah says there, our God will fight for us. But he's also set it up to where we will fight for each other. Verse 21, so we labored at the work. Half of them held spears in the break of, from the break of dawn until the stars came out. And I said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes, each kept his weapon at his right hand. So everybody starts sleeping in the city. Everybody starts sleeping with their swords in their clothes. We're not, we're not, we're not doing battle in our pajamas in Israel. Okay? We are ready to go at a moment's notice. And we're going to keep this thing going no matter what the enemy is doing. And the walls went up. Whenever you do something great for God, you can expect resistance. Resistance. Always. There's always resistance to what God is doing. Paul said it this way in 2 Timothy 3. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Period. This is Paul is not saying some of you are going to get persecuted. This is really bad news as a pastor for, for me to tell you this. I'm sorry. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be persecuted. Jesus Himself said it this way in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, sake, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. We're going to have resistance as, as Christians. And I'm telling you, when I look out at the world that we live in right now, it's only going to get worse. We're only going to be more and more countercultural in the world that we live in today. There will be Resistance. Now, hopefully, you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. We all know people who go get persecuted because they're jerks. That's not what we're going for. Okay? Persecuted because you have character and you're following what Jesus does. And sometimes that is difficult. Not sometimes. Paul says all the time. If it's not difficult for you, then I think you need to look at what you're doing if you're not being persecuted, if there's non resistance in your life to anything, then maybe you're not doing much. Or maybe you're doing exactly what the world would have you do. I'm always reflective at this time of year because the first Febu- Sunday in February is the Sunday that I started at this church. So I always know this is kind of the anniversary. So this marks seven years I have been here at Westminster Church. Seven years. Um... And as I've been thinking about Nehemiah and as I've been reflecting on this book, I can't help but see some of our story in it. When I came here seven years ago, I think the walls were a little broken down. That we, we felt as a church, that like we, weren't, we weren't strong, that we, we were weak. There were even people talking about how they thought this church was going to close. Um there were uh, the building had a lot of stuff that needed done to it it was It was not clean. There were some significant dust bunnies in this church when I came here. and there were places that needed clean, places that needed picked up, places that needed fixed up. The walls were broken down and I think over seven years we 've done a lot around here uh, from cleaning stuff up to putting up banners to putting in a roof and a boiler. But the whole time, I think more importantly, we haven't just built up the church. I feel like we have built up as a people that we are stronger, that we are more together, that we are growing in our faith. And one of the things I wonder as I'm reading Nehemiah is what's next? That what, what did God prepare us for What did God strengthen us for? And I'm convinced it's for not our sake. It's for the world's sake. It's for the community's sake. It's for your neighbors and for your friends. There are still challenges. Still challenges in our church finances. Still challenges in um, where we're going. We need to figure out where some of our direction is. We need to help people connect here. But I think that God is up to something. And I think we can learn a few things from Nehemiah. First, I think prayer needs to be the fuel of what we do here. I think we need to get stronger in our prayer here. The prayer needs to be the energy. It needs to be the catalyst for what God is doing in our midst. Even as we pray, I think we need to prepare and plan. Plan new things. Experiment. Try to get things done. Keep moving, praying that God would help the right things to get done. I think we need to remember that God is with us. That God is blessing what is happening here. But I also think we need to keep remembering what we're fighting for. Fighting for a church that, that, that some of us had fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers that helped build this. Some of us remember some of those people that helped give us the church that we have now. And we have kids, and we have grandkids, and we have friends in the community that we know need this church and are going to continue to need this church. We need to remember what we're fighting for. And I'm convinced we need reinforcements. We need to sound the trumpets. We need to invite people. We need to tell people about what God is doing in this place. We need to live out our Christian faith in a radical way in the world around us. Let us pray. Father God, I do pray that you would work in our midst. We thank you for the building of the walls around here. But we know that our work is not done yet. So give us strength for the work ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.